Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to y'all, too. Glad to see y'all today. Man, uh, we're uh, carrying on through the year. It's hard to believe that Thanksgiving's around the corner. I just want to ask, next week is kind of one of those toss-ups sometimes uh, with us being out of town and all. Uh, Who will not be able to make it next Tuesday for Bible study? Raise your hand high so I can see. So is that just four people? All right, we'll meet. Full speed ahead. Sound good? Good. Sound? Take a week off. Won't you incur a yeah. break? Yeah. Take a week off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. Yeah. Y'all, y'all take a week off. Sleep in. Sleep <laughs> in. No, no sleeping in at the Brick's house. Boy, I tell you what. Uh, all right. I guess we'll take it, Kurt. You got a turkey to bake. That's right. That's right. All right. So we will not meet next week. Uh, who do you uh, Who do you not see in the room? Uh, Kurt Sievert. Can y'all tell Kurt that we won't? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> who Who else do you not see with us this morning? Who? Okay. Let him, Let him know. Yeah, okay. He he snuck in up front here. Uh, man, your 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 scary county buddies looking out for you there, there, Kate. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, good deal. Well, we will not meet next week. And um, man, I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving with your family and friends. If you don't have anybody to eat Thanksgiving with, y'all could come to our house uh, for sure on Friday. I'm serious. On Friday. Elena's got this uh, harebrained idea for us to have a cooking competition amongst our family members on Thursday, game food themed, to get ready for the Cowboy game, right? And so then we're going to cook our Thanksgiving meal the next day. So if anybody wants to come to our house on on Friday, you let us know and we will have you over. It'll be a lot of fun. So... Very good. Well, we are going to be in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel today as we continue our study of David. And uh, I think it calls for us to to go to an old tried and true psalm that David wrote. Um, Some of the themes that we're going to be delving into tonight are definitely in Psalm 23. Um, And so these things... These realities that we and these truths that we experience from the character of God, um, they're not just for our enjoyment, but they're to shape us so that then our life shapes other people in that way too, right? And so Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that makes us feel good, but it's also helped to help us shape others as well. So let's pray together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Where we begin in chapter 9, verse 1, one of the most unusual, real kind of experiences David ever had. There was a a big push back 20 years ago, had been for several decades before that, that David was a Robin Hood character. He never really existed. He was an invention of the mind of uh, the author of Samuel. And there were so many internal pieces of evidence, I think it spoke against that, but so much archaeology has come out since then, and we know David existed. But if you were making up a story about David, you would never tell this story. I mean, there's lots of examples. But this is, I think, the origin, I'm kidding here, of no good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) David is trying to be a good guy. He's trying to be the guy of the 23rd Psalm and it blows up in his face. So a lot of little story today, we'll try to get to it, but let's, let's jump into it. Chapter 9, verse 1. One day David began wondering if anyone in Saul's family was still alive, for he had promised Jonathan that he would show kindness to them. Had he? Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, we've read some of the stories, right? What's happened to the rivals, the descendants of Saul or the children of Jonathan? What, what has David allowed to happen to them? He allowed them to kill what he was doing. Exactly. It was Joab. Oh, dang, dang it, Joab, stop killing everybody. Joab, stop it. Uh, so David, in a good position now, he's secure in the throne, he's had great military victories, he's remembering, oh gosh, I remember Jonathan, he actually was a good guy, and I did make a promise that I wouldn't kill all of his kids. Um, he's trying to think, God, I killed that one, and that one, and that one. Finally, he has to get some help, right? Is there any of them that are left alive? Because he, he wants to be different. Yeah, before we rush forward, just kind of highlight that. I'm not, how does your Bibles translate what we have as, as a kindness? Uh, both, both mine and Kurt's translations have kindness. What do y'all have? Anything else? Everybody has kindness. It's a little surprising that the translations are that consistent. Uh, just write out in the margin of your Bible, Hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. That's a, that's a really, really important uh, Hebrew word in the Old Testament. Um, you probably heard me talk about uh, Exodus, uh, Exodus 34. Um, Exodus 34, 6. Let me pop it up here. Um, this is uh, when Moses and the people of Israel are at a breaking point with the golden calf. And uh, Moses like says to God, God, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. And um, basically he is asking God, God, reveal yourself to us. And remember, there's five things. This is really an important passage of scripture here in Exodus 34, 6. Because this is what God says to be true about himself. Like we all carry around in our hearts and our minds a story, a narrative of who we think God is. 
But what does God say to be true about himself? That he is merciful and gracious. Like I call it the big five. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's the big one. And faithfulness. At least that's the big one for our conversation today because that's the same word. Whenever, whenever uh, second, first Samuel or Second Samuel here translates it kindness, uh, here it's translated steadfast love. It's the same word. So this is like a, a, one of the, the most important character traits of who God is. That his sacrificial love towards us never fails. Yes, it, he is faithful. That kind of thing. So, as Pastor Kurt said, this is David trying to be like God. Yeah, and let me just underscore that. It, it, Hesed is huge. We tend to, <coughs> as Christians to learn agape in the New Testament, but, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Hesed, it's actually a second H. So, I've got a good cough today. You, you can say it well, Hesed. Um, it's God's deal with us that even though you break your side of the covenant, I will keep mine. Yeah. And it's what has saved us as humanity. It's what led to the coming of Jesus. So at, at one point, this hesed was only uh, a quality of God. But he's been trying to teach us to do it, and so David is trying it here. So David begins to sort of uh, play his, his network to see who he can contact uh, to see if there's any relatives left. Uh, he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. <laughs> yes, sir, I am, David replied. <laughs> the king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? Now pause there for a minute. What are you thinking if you're Ziba? Oh yeah, David's asking if anybody is still alive. Uh, but David adds, if so, I want to show, again, Hesed, God's kindness to them in any way I can. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but he is crippled. And so I think Ziba's adding this quickly. Now, in, uh, in terms of the law, in terms of Hebrew culture, a I'll be careful here, but a, a, a crippled person, a person with a physical deformity, couldn't rule. Uh, it's it's just part of their culture. It's not something I think God agrees with. It's just something that happens here, and we actually know the story of what happened. Uh, this this character that we're going to meet in a minute, Mephibosheth, was about five years old when his father and grandfather, Jonathan, were killed at the Battle of Gilboa. Remember that big battle against the Philistines? And when news had reached the palace that both were dead and the Philistines were taking over, the nurse who was taking care of Mephibosheth grabbed him and was running to get away, and she dropped him. And he was left crippled in his feet. So in a sense, David's life has overshadowed this man's life altogether. So yeah, yeah ponder, ponder that for a second uh, from, from our previous study. If Mephibosheth, if, if, if he's reflective about what caused his, his feet to become lame, where could he possibly lay the blame at? Why is the nurse having to run? 
Yeah. Basically, you can make the argument because David wasn't where David was supposed to be. David was actually fighting for the Philistines at the time. And if he was taking his men to go fight against the Philistines, maybe it wouldn't have ended the way that it did. You could make the argument, well, it's because Saul's unfaithfulness, but very much Mephibosheth could be saying, you know, this is David's fault that I'm like this. Hopefully one of the things you'll remember is that when David fights, when he fights a battle, he wins. When he goes into a military conflict, he wins. That's almost like his spiritual gift or one of them. It's the battles that he chooses not to fight that he loses. So he could have changed Mephibosheth's life, but nonetheless, David is is trying to do something different. Um, So we're told uh, in in Lodabar, uh, which is far to the north, so as far as you could get away from David's capital in Jerusalem, uh, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, some of Amiel, so David sent for him and brought him from Machir. His name was Mephibosheth. But you guys are students now of Samuel's uh, antics. His name is really not Mephibosheth. We know from the genealogies, specifically in Chronicles, his name is Meribbal. Why Saul had this tendency to have his grandsons named after the god Baal is disturbing. But sufficient to say here, they've changed the wording. So uh, it's Mephib and then Bosheth, which we've seen this once before. Remember, uh, he had a brother who was named uh, Ishbosheth. And uh, this is very irreverent humor, but I love it. So Bosheth is, is excrement is, is um, poop, human poop. So instead of using the name Baal, the god they hate, that is basically Satan, they've replaced it with human manure. <laughs> so it's fun to insult another god, um, and that's what they're doing in Samuel. So his name, not that they're attacking the person, they're really attacking the god. So... Uh, there's there's little humor. It's funny, Steve and I were looking at this yesterday, and this embarrasses modern uh, translators. So they'll they'll give you a translation like uh, shameful. Well, that gets to it. Yeah. What well, what was your great uh, translation? Well, the go to the other part first, and then we'll the the mare part. The mare. Oh, but yeah. beloved of yeah uh, or, or yeah yeah. So beloved of ball is what his name meant, yeah. and now it's beloved of poop. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, beloved butt. Yeah. So, but it's probably a good translation for some of this because it has that yeah. that shameful part, yeah. but also yeah. Whenever you're in college and your buddies mooned you, what did you do? He mooned him back. You you definitely didn't sit there and stare at it, right? (laughs) At least I hope not, right? You didn't stare at it. It, 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 And so the people who who translate it shame, it it does get at it in that at the end of the day, there's this with the both chefs, both of them, Ishbosheth and Mephibosheth, uh, being uh, Saul's grandchildren, they don't belong. They don't have a place. 
And that's what shame is. Whenever you experience shame, you, you don't say, I did something wrong. You say, I am something wrong. And not only is Mephibosheth wrong because he can't walk, but he is a member of the wrong family. He doesn't have a place. Makes it all the more powerful of what David is doing to try to show kindness to this person who doesn't have a place. He gives him a place. Now that's the gospel, right? Come on. That we all have a place because of what Jesus has done for us. Every one of us, we have a place. So they find Mephibosheth. They bring him. Uh, Look at the the reception. When he came to David, he bowed low in great fear. I wonder why that is. And he said, I am your servant. But David said, don't be afraid. I've come. I've asked you to come so that I can be kind. Same word. Yep. Because of my vow to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the land that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you may live here with me at the palace. Now, David is doing an amazing thing here. How much land do you think King Saul controlled in the north? Tremendous amount. And farmland in Israel is is rare and precious. They're, for the most part, in mountainous areas, so you don't have wide open fields. So they'll build terraces, they'll uh, find little valleys. So uh, real uh, cultivatable land is very valuable. It's it's really the source of wealth. It's like your, your investments. So he is giving Mephibosheth this power base, this income, to again be not just a, a cripple that's kept as an oddity, but really one of the more wealthy men in the nation. But where does David want Mephibosheth to stay? You stay with me. You can have the estates and you can have the wealth, but you will live with me. Now part of this is gracious and kind, but part of it is also very Machiavellian because he's going to keep an eye on Mephibosheth. This man could make a claim to the throne and probably be a little more popular, maybe not right now, but later on, a little more popular than David. So who is this Mephibosheth as as a character, as a person? Verse 8, he fell to the ground before the king. Should the king show such kindness... Again, we've, they're, they're trying to beat us over the head, Hesed, 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 to a dead dog like me. If ever you forget it, one of the worst insults, the worst curse words you can get in Hebrew is not Bosheth. It's actually worse. It's a Caleb, a Chalev. It's a dog. Hebrews hate dogs. I know we Americans love our dogs, and we, we but the, a dog is a scavenger. It's a it's a garbage dump animal. And so when Hebrews use dog, it's the lowest of the low. So he is, he is aware that this mercy is being uh, extended to him, and he really doesn't deserve it. Now, uh, the, the passage sort of ends up, he, he uh, is given food from David's table. He, he seems to eat with David regularly. Oh, man. Isn't this a beautiful story? You reach out to your enemy, you're kind to him, and you create a friend for life. 
But is that the way the real world works? Have you ever reached out to somebody and really gone out of your way to help them? And then what happens? This is the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Jump over to chapter 16. And we may not get through all of it, but we will try. So we are going ahead uh, several decades, well, uh, several years. Uh, David is in trouble. His son, Absalom, has led a revolt against him. And the population is absolutely behind David's son and not David. So David has to run for his life. The only group that is defending him is his bodyguard battalion, this 600, these Philistine-trained mercenaries that he's had working with him his whole life. And so David is having the lowest moment of his life. His own son is trying to kill him. So David is running for his life. The crowds are screaming at him. They, there's no support. But lo and behold, this servant, servant Ziba, shows up. And he's got provisions. He's got donkeys um, with uh, uh, bread. He's got raisins. All of the foods that David's going to need when he's going to try to go back into the wilderness and survive. And David thinks, oh, finally, some good has happened. Mephibosheth must have sent his servant to help me in my time of need. I helped this guy. He was a dead dog. I reached out to him. But the servant says, no, actually, Mephibosheth has changed sides. He's actually supporting Absalom. He's, he's ready for your death. I did this. I'm just a servant, but I knew that you needed help, David. So Mephibosheth betrayed you, but I have come to help you. And isn't that the way the life works? No good deed goes unpunished. You help someone. You create a beautiful psalm. I try to teach you the hesed of God, and you betray me. Mm -hmm. You ever been really betrayed? Someone you worked with in business, family member. I mean, why do we do what we do? We're going to have a chance to look at this a little bit later. But David's mercenary corps does its job, uh, particularly John, or Joab. Remember, who does Joab kill to put down the rebellion? Absalom. He executes David's own son. So David comes back to power, and he has to clean house. Those that sided with him are put back in power, and those that defied him are, are done away with. And so we jump to 2 Samuel 19. Mephibosheth is now brought before the king. Just, we didn't go through the, the scripture, but as uh, Ziba was talking to David about what Mephibosheth had done, David said, well, then you have, you, all of this is your, all of what I gave to Mephibosheth is now yours. Right. So, so read between the lines there. Uh, that This could be Ziba, he could be telling the truth. Or he could be saying these things for his own ends. And that's kind of where we land in uh, 19. Yeah, 1924. So now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, arrived from Jerusalem to meet the king. 
He had not washed his feet or clothes or trimmed his beard since the day uh, the king left Jerusalem. Why didn't you come with me? Mephibosheth, the king asked. Mephibosheth replied, My lord, the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, saddle my donkey so that I can go with the king. For as you know, I am crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that you are like an angel of God. So do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my Lord. But instead, you have honored me among those who eat at your own table. So how can I complain? So who's telling the truth? And what do you do as David? This is the, the second or the second time people that I think that God loves. Everybody can be gracious once, right? I, I can be kind one time, but you mess with me, and the second time, that's hard. That's really hard. So David has this dilemma, and how real world is this? Who do you believe? The servant that actually brought something to you? Or do you believe this Mephibosheth, who you've been so kind to, but he has every reason, in a sense, to not support you? The only sort of physical piece of evidence that we have that maybe Mephibosheth is telling the truth is his beard and his sense of mourning. So that he has... uh, in Hebrew sense, been in mourning, uh, that he hasn't trimmed his beard, uh, he, he hasn't washed. Maybe it's some indication that he was really supporting David, but the scripture doesn't make it clear for us uh, whether Ziba had done this or Mephibosheth. So you're David. You know David, right? What do you do? You have been gracious. You have been given these potential enemies great wealth in the north. These are possible uh, sources of rebellion against you. And they have not supported you. Not really when you needed them. So what's David's nature to do? Kill them both. Kill them both. You know what? I can fix this with one sword. Hey, Joe, come here. Where's Joab? Exactly. <laughs> Phone call to Joab, take care of all of this. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But this is what David decides to do. And just this is in the backdrop of him losing, you know, basically being run out of town by his son and Absalom being killed. Talk about a stressful time, right? A a time of trauma, you might say. For sure. It seems like something has shifted in David. 29. All right, David replied. My decision is that you and Ziba will divide the land equally between you. So he's not going to kill either one of them. He's not going to leave either one of them with all the land. He's going to sort of divide Uh, And he will watch both of them. Verse 30. uh, This is interesting. Give it all to him. 
Mephibosheth said, I am content just to have you back again, my Lord. So either Mephibosheth is telling the truth or the guy is just the ultimate suck up. You know, he always pours it on. Oh, my Lord, you're so great. I don't know which it was, but as I always say, at the end of the day, God's desire for us is to teach us how to make good decisions. And David has made two really good decisions in a very hard situation. He has overcome that impulse to kill that which threatens me, and he has practiced hesed twice. Like Steve introduced for us, hesed from God's part is that even though you break your side of the bargain, I will keep my side of it. And that's what David did. He didn't, uh, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He extended love when he didn't receive love from whomever, Zeba or Mephibosheth. So as much as we pick on David sometimes, this is a good moment for him. It really is. And you guys know him. This was not easy by any stretch of the imagination. But this is what God loves when we can transcend this. Whatever we were preparing yesterday, it reminded me of another story about Saul's son, uh, Solomon. He was in a similar situation. He did not know who to believe. Y'all remember the story? It was about uh, two women who had given birth, and one of the uh, kids uh, had died, and they both made claim to the child. And Solomon, as they were arguing about it, Solomon, in his wisdom, said, okay, bring the child to me, and I'm just going to cut it in half divide, it literally divide the child so that you can both have. So here, David is dividing the land. Now remember, what was the response of the child's real mother whenever he said that? Give it to her! Give it to her! What is Mephibosheth doing? Give it to him. Now, if you read those two stories together, you probably get a clue on who is the one that's telling the truth. Possibly. Uh, but I do think that those stories in some way do reflect each other. And so, something to ponder. Yeah. Solomon learned from his dad. Yeah. I don't think this is a blank card to let people abuse you. I don't think this is an invitation to be stupid. But it is a reminder to us, if we can be gracious, be gracious. If you can forgive a person a second time, that's what God loves. At the end of our days, all of the business accounts will be over, all of the, the negotiations, everything of that will pass. But what will not pass is the decisions, the good choices, the righteous choices we made to practice this hesed. God taught us to love, or created us to love. And this hesed is getting us really laser focused on what he expects that love to be. Yeah. Um, can you love your enemy? Can you forgive seven times seven? Right. So, questions? And with the holidays coming, there's ample opportunity to put that into practice with your family members. Uh, right? <laughs> and so, uh, so when, whenever somebody says something stupid, which they invariably will. Uh, I've got two in my family. Everybody's got one. I got two. Uh, so whatever they say, like, how can you, uh, you just invite God in that moment? God, how can I be gracious to this person in this moment? 
and facilitate healing and not further division, right? And if all else fails, just call him Mephibosheth. Beloved of poop, right? <laughs> no, beloved butt. Kurt. Beloved butt. You gotta get the two I'm not, B's that's in there. creepy. I have a beloved, beloved butt. butt. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Father our God, we are thankful. You really know us and you love us. Despite our many faults, despite the truth that we all probably bear the name Bosheth and what we do and the messes that we make. And yet you are in the midst of it. You saw that despite all of the blood on David's hands, there was a heart in there that was capable of this, that could forgive an enemy not once, but twice. Father God, help this to resonate with us, that your desire is not for wars or battles or for one to dominate, but for us to truly be brothers, for us to be subjects in your kingdom with one Lord that we love as he loves us. Father God, help us this day. We know we're going to have the choices. Today is the day, as in all days, you seek to teach us how to make the right choice in the real world. May we be found faithful as David was in this moment. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see y'all soon. Two weeks.